can go ahead and open up your uh, copy of Scripture to Acts chapter 2. We are in uh, verse uh, 42, and uh, we are in a series. Uh, we're walking through the book of Acts, and uh, we're calling this series Unstoppable uh, because uh, the way that um, uh, the early church uh, began uh, was with just a, a small group of people. Um, really, there was uh, kind of 11 uh, and then soon to be 12 kind of prominent leaders, uh, but it uh, was kind of joined with 120 others. And uh, in the last few weeks, we've been looking at sort of those early days of um, of the church. And, uh, and in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is called the day of Pentecost. It's when uh, the Spirit descended upon the church. And uh, the, the Spirit was given and uh, indwelled the people. And the response was that they began to speak and proclaim and talk about uh, Jesus and all that he had done in all these languages. There was people from all over that had traveled to Jerusalem. They were there for the holy weeks and for the feasts, and they were gathered there in that place. And so in all these tongues and all these languages, they were speaking of Jesus, and people were hearing in their heart language of who he was. And then Peter stood up, and, and the question was, what does this mean? Like, what's happening right now? And Peter's like, let me tell you what's happening. Uh, the day of the Lord is coming. The, the end of the days are, are here and upon us, and God has told us that this day would come. And, and, and let me tell you about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He, he proclaimed his works and wonders, and he, um, he went to the cross, and he died for you, for the forgiveness of sins, for um, the freedom from, uh, from your sinful ways. And so the call was given to all those that were heard, and there were thousands there that day. And Peter said, repent and be baptized today. And it was very clear what, what, what they were going to repent of and what they would get in response for that. They would receive from God through the work of Christ on the cross the forgiveness of their sins. And they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so here we have uh, 3,000 souls, it says, were saved that day. So um, in a matter of one day, uh, the church grows from 120 to 3,000. And um, historians and, and um, you know, people that study that sort of thing have looked at, like, how did the early church spread so quickly? Part of it was because of this international um, kind of community that was formed immediately. And they went back and brought the gospel with them, and um, it just moved powerfully through. And we're going to see that throughout the rest of this book of where it goes. But today, what we're looking at is the, the days that followed that special day of Pentecost. And what we see is this unique uh, sort of picture of what God was doing right there at the start. And uh, we're calling the sermon this morning um, the Spirit-Filled Church because uh, this was a group of people that were filled with the Spirit and they were doing the things that the Spirit was leading them to do. And there's going to be some marks that we're going to see within this passage of the Spirit-Filled Church. But let's just be clear what we mean about when we say the Spirit-Filled Church. Um, Peter said... He said, um, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We believe this. The Bible is clear about this, that as you come to Christ, as you follow him as your Savior, that he gives you his Holy Spirit, that you are baptized in the Spirit. You receive the Spirit. Um, but the uh, Bible also talks about filling of the Spirit. And so I think, um, and we, we hold to here at this church, that there's one baptism, but many fillings. Uh, Ephesians says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so it's, it's best to kind of look at this and understand this. Like, when you are baptized in the Spirit, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. Like, there's nothing more that He's holding out on or not giving to you. 
But the question is, are you filled with the Spirit? And that answers the question of, does he have all of you? So you might have all of the Spirit, but the question is, does the Spirit have all of you? And so in the same way, not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit, we give ourselves over to the Spirit. And this is a picture of a church, 3,000 plus, right? Filled with the Spirit and being led in these things. So these are not, this is not for us, let's just be clear, a checklist that we're to go out and do from here. Rather, these are indicators that we are indeed filled with the Spirit. These are things that the Spirit will well up inside of you, that He will lead you toward, that He will produce in you. And we see these four marks here. Let me read the passage, and then we're going to walk our way through it. Verse 42, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Such a beautiful picture of the church, uh, such a beautiful picture of a spirit-filled church, right? If you've been around church, you've maybe heard, if you spend any time around church, you will hear, uh, man, if we could just have sort of an Acts 2 sort of church. That's what they're talking about right here. This passage, these verses, this is the picture that we're going after. We're going to find other summary statements throughout Acts, but we want to kind of break this apart. We're going to do it this way. We're going to see four marks of the Spirit-filled church. Let me give you the first one, and I'll show it to you here in Scripture. The first mark that we see is a steadfast devotion. A steadfast devotion. Verse 42, again, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That word devoted, hopefully, kind of rings a bell for us if you've been around here a little bit. In August, we went through a series looking at Scripture and seeing that we are called as a church to be devoted to prayer. This word devoted is a giving of oneself. It's a giving over to something. Um, one commentator uh, kind of describes it this way. It connotes a, uh, connotates a, a, um, a steadfast, single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. I think it's Eugene Peterson who uh, framed it this way. It's, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And so right from the start, they were giving themselves over. They were devoting themselves to these things altogether. What were the things that they were devoted to? Well, we see four of them um, right here. Here's a list. Uh, the steadfast devotion looked like this. It was steadfast devotion to the teaching, right? See the first thing? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, Notice each one of these has a definite article. It sort of emphasizes the point of of what it is. And so when we talk about uh, teaching, we're talking about um, uh, uh, doctrine here. Um, You can throw up that list, David. I think we have the first uh, first one here. Um, So teaching is doctrine. Sometimes we get sort of scared by this word doctrine. Uh, What it is, (laughs) is it's sort of a summary word, summary statement um, that uh, kind of, you know, what is it that we hold to? What are the beliefs that are most core? What are the things that, that God has been super clear about in his word and in his teaching? And so they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of these 
um, these men, these 12 men, were, uh, they were uh, unpacking and expounding and explaining and applying God's word to their lives. And the people were giving themselves to it. And this is a direct response from what Jesus called them to. Uh, many of us, we know uh, perhaps the Great Commission. If you don't, let me uh, share it with you. It's okay. It's found in Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 to 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that's what's happening right here. All nations together in this place, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Chakler did that, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe. So it's not just teaching them, but, but teaching them to observe. And so there's an application that's necessary. One of the things that we say around here is uh, we're not necessarily hurting all the time for new information. We are hurting for a, a lack of application of the information we already have. Uh, so much of us, we, we know things. And, and the question is, are we doing those things and applying those things? And so uh, a question that we need to be asking constantly is, what does the Bible say about that, right? What does God say about that in his word? And then a follow-up question should be, what is the manner of my life in relation to to ship to these things. So if God's word speaks about it, what's my life in relationship to it? We apply. And so they were teaching. The way that looks like in our church now, certainly, uh, as we gather weekly, as a very um, you know, central part of our gathering together is opening God's word and hearing from God. Like that's what we're doing right now. We're devoting ourselves to his teaching, what God has given us in his word. But this isn't the only place that this happens. Uh, we open our Bibles throughout the, uh, the weeks. We uh, sit down with one another, uh, some of you on one-on-one -on -one Bible studies, others of us in, in small groups and, and meeting in homes throughout the week and exploring God's word. We have classes, we call them growth classes, where we will dig through and walk through either um, you know, kind of items of theology or, or books of the Bible or those kind of things. So we want to be taught and learn. And some of us, I know, like we have an aversion to learning, right? Um, there's kind of actually, you know, spectrum on this, right? Some of you, 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 you do not want to learn. Some of you are learning currently because the, you're, you're forced to, you're in school, right? And so until you are uh, kind of finished with high school, you're like, okay, I just need to get through that, and then I'm sort of done learning. Others of us, right, we uh, uh, maybe want to do more learning, and so we pursue an undergrad or graduate, or, you know, I talk to more and more, um, <laughs> more and more students. I'm like, well, what are you going to do with that? And they're like, I don't know. I think I'm just going to keep learning until I figure it out, right? And so you just keep kind of accruing the debt and kind of doing that. Some people want letters behind their name, and so they go for even more schooling. Some of you love learning. Others of you don't. But here's the thing. We all need to devote ourselves, give ourselves over to teaching when it comes to God's Word. So lovingly, what I'd like to say to those of you who don't want to learn new things, I would just say with total love, get over that. All right, get over that. Like, if you are a follower of Jesus, he wants to teach you. He wants to grow you. You gotta learn new things and you never stop. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know, right? The more there is to learn. There's so much here. Likewise, I would also say, if you don't like to read, you're missing out on a very rich source of help for understanding God's word. There are some amazing men and women who have penned uh, just fantastic uh, books and resources to help us understand. And so similarly, if you don't like to read, try and get over that, okay? Like begin to read. I didn't always love to read, but I realized I was reading the wrong things. I started reading things that were actually helpful and, and applied to my life. And I was like, oh, I actually do like reading. I just need to read the right things. And uh, sometimes even, you know, I, I forget. I, I get into a book and I'm like, man, I actually really like this. I want to 
learn the Spirit was leading them in this. They were giving themselves over to the apostles' teaching. Not just that. Uh, Look at the second thing. The steadfast devotion was to the teaching, but it was also to uh, the fellowship. The fellowship. Another word for this that you can write down is community. Community. I think sometimes, for some of us, fellowship is sort of a um, bit of a tainted uh, kind of, you know, it's lost its luster uh, kind of word for us. If you grew up in church, maybe fellowship was defined as weak Kool-Aid in the fellowship hall, right? Like, hey, we stick around for a time of fellowship. And you'd go to that little um, cooler and you'd fill your glass with lemonade or, or uh, fruit punch. And you're like, man, somebody needs some more powder in this thing. Like, budget's a little tight. We got to like sweeten this thing up a bit. That's all I remember was like, that was what fellowship was. Go to the fellowship hall and drink weak Kool-Aid. And so that's not the picture of what they were devoting themselves to. So much more than that. So much more than that. What is it? It's the unity that they find within one another, what they share in common. We have so much about us, church, that is different, that is not the same, that doesn't um, unite us in that. But, but in Christ, there is unity that is found. They were devoting themselves to this community and the things that they shared in common. And we find in the family of God great, great unity. A unity that should be and, and, and is, we're called to, be stronger than any other unity anywhere else. But here's the thing about unity. is It is not, because there's a platform for it or a foundation for it, doesn't mean that it's just a given. It doesn't always just exist. Uh, Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Um, I grew up with brothers. I know that in my house, in my home, there wasn't always unity. My mom can attest to that. We have uh, children in our house now, five of them, four girls, boy. There's not always unity in our home. But man, how good and how pleasant it is when the kids are dwelling in unity. Well, just like in your family, when maybe unity wasn't there, sometimes in the family of God, unity is not always there. And that's where discipline comes in. That's why they says that they devoted themselves to it. They gave themselves over to it. And I think we like the idea of unity, but we don't always like doing the work that unity involves. I've used this illustration before. It's one of my favorite memories of my oldest child. I'll share it with you again just because it's that good. Um, we were, uh, I, had, I was going to a funeral for one of my um, grandfathers, and I took Ellie with me. She was, I think, four, maybe five at the time, you know, pretty, pretty little. And um, she was really excited because we were flying from a small airport to another small airport, so we were going to be uh, traveling on three planes to get there. She thought that was awesome. I was like, no, sweetie, we want direct flights. And she was like, no, I want to fly on three different planes. It's going to be awesome. So she, she was all pumped about this. She was like, couldn't talk about, like, all she's like, three planes there, three planes back. That's six planes, you know, and she was like so pumped about it. And um, we get, I think, halfway through, like, the middle of the second flight, like, still a third flight to go. And she looks at me, and she said to me, and I love this, um, she said, Dad, I like the idea of flying. I do not like flying. (laughs) I was like, sweetie, you just summarized what everybody on this plane feels, right? Like, we are so excited. Like, oh, I get to go on a plane. I get to fly somewhere. And then we kind of go through the security and all that it takes, and then we're, we're on it, especially if we're doing multiple connections. And like, the idea of flying sounds great, but you get on it, and you're like, man, this is, can we just get there already, right? Like, I wish, I wish we were there. Here's the thing. We like 
We like the idea of unity in the church. We do not always like the work that unity requires. It's a devotion that is required. It's a giving up of ourselves to one another. It's a humbling. It's a charity and grace and forgiveness. And I want to use this as an illustration, and I always question, like, you know, do we talk about this again, or is this helpful? Um, but it continues to be uh, just a thing, right? And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about our favorite topic. I think sometimes one of, there's things that can divide us, right? And so on Friday, I sent out a note in our weekly. It was a note about masks, right? And, and in it, I said in it, and here's the thing, you can always, like, is Dave saying, is there something behind what he's saying? That's not how I roll, okay? I just sort of, like, you can just, like, let me just put that question to ease. I always kind of try, <laughs> best to my ability, to be just forward with how I'm thinking and feeling. So I said, right at one of the very first paragraphs, I said, this is not a divisive issue in our church, but I fear that it could become one. Because masks uh, continue to be a thing, right? We're under mask order here, and, and that's just kind of a question. Like, what are we doing? How are we handling it? What are we doing with that, right? And so I just said, hey, listen, we got to show charity toward one another. There's some that don't feel safe, some that need masks, some that, you know, others like have other things that can't wear masks and that kind of thing. And so, like, we're sitting here today in a place, and, and some of you are wearing, some are not, and like, let's just be honest about it. It's not like any, anything. And, and so we're trying as a church to hold this tension together, and we're trying to show grace toward one another. We're trying to be loving toward each other, recognizing we might be on the same page. And so how do we navigate this together? And so I use this not because this is the most divisive thing in our church, but because it could be. And how sad would that be? How sad would that be? Like, what we share in common, our need for a Savior, in the name of Jesus Christ, and the fact that we're part of this family together, we're going to spend eternity with one another. Like, there is such a future for us. How sad would it be if that is all broken up and comes under fire because of this? Like, that is just, it's, it's foolish. But yet the enemy will stop at nothing to divide and separate us. And so what's the answer? I don't know. As elders, we are prayerfully always trying to guide us as best we can through this, all right? It may not be the way you would. You might have other ideas. In fact, I'm not, you might not have others. You definitely have ideas because I hear about them, all right? I talk about this like way more than I wish I did, all right? And so I bring this up to just say, listen, church, the unity, the community that we find in Jesus Christ is not gonna be divided by these secondary issues. And it's not, if it's not masks, it's gonna be something else. There are so many opportunities that we have. Scripture says do not give the enemy a foothold, right? We don't wanna give him a stepladder to divide us and to bring us to this place. Would God protect us in this? Well, the early church, they were doing it. The spirit-filled church gives themselves, devotes themselves to the fellowship, to the community with one another. Let's keep moving. Uh, the, the third thing that we see that they uh, steadfast devotion is the breaking of bread. And I know some of you would love to um, kind of cross out breaking and write eating, right? The eating of bread. Um, sorry, uh, you don't have a free pass uh, there if, um, if, if, if bread is your, um, your, one of your weak points. Uh, but they were breaking bread together, and yes, eating it. And uh, as they were gathered, what they were doing is they were sharing meals together. But it wasn't just about coming together around a table and sharing a meal, but so much more than that, it was what that meal represented and what happened at that meal when the Bible speaks of breaking of bread, what it's really kind of pointing its uh, kind of arrow toward is the blessing that is the Lord's Supper. They were gathering and breaking bread around the celebration of the Lord's Supper together. 
What is the Lord's Supper? It's communion. It's that, that, that last meal when Jesus was with his followers. He said, this is a picture for you, right? It's a symbol of my body broken, my blood shed for you, that you would be reminded and remembered my love and the work that I've done on the cross for you. And so before even going to the cross, he gave the church this beautiful picture. And so the church since this early day, was gathered around the breaking of bread, the celebration of communion. There are two ordinances that God has called the church to. The first is baptism. We saw this right here. The second, we see right after it, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, taking the bread, taking the, uh, the, the cup together, and remembering God's work through that. They gave themselves to this breaking of bread and to the prayers. That's the fourth thing. Steadfast, steadfast devotion to the prayers. If you want another word, like sometimes I think we think, okay, well, what does prayers look like? Well, prayers looks like dependency. Dependency. As a church, that's why we took an entire month of August and said, hey, are we devoted to prayer? Are we giving ourselves over to prayer? And the question that I've asked us and of myself first is, am I dependent upon God so much so that I can't go without prayer? One of the quotes that sticks out from that series together, I think it came from Daniel Henderson, and it says, um, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God, right? The opposite is true, that prayer demonstrates our dependency. We say when we pray that we can't do it on our own. We need God present, and we need him working. And so the church, the spirit-filled church, devoted themselves to the prayers. They were together in that place. And let me tell you, church, I've been encouraged. I want to recognize when we are responding and growing in things. And so can I just say this? Can I um, sort of encourage us in that I've seen a greater dependency for prayer in our church. I've seen that in a number of ways. I saw that the week of prayer when, when we were quick to sign up and quick to you know, carry through with that. And then all the follow-up and feedback and just response that I heard from that, such an encouragement. And then we gathered together for a night of prayer. And it was one of the largest that we've had in, in forever. And just to, to, to prioritize that and come together. And many of you even told me, you said, this was my first night of prayer that I've ever been to. Like, not here, ever. I've never gathered with believers and prayed. How, how great is that, that we're growing in that? Even this morning, we gather before the, the service every morning with the team of people that's, that's leading in various capacities and we, we huddle together and we pray. And even this morning, we had some of the most prayer that we've had in a while. I can tell that God is, is welling up in us this fervency and desire for prayer. Would it be so? Would it be in our homes? And then would it fill out into the times when we are together that we are growing in dependency? I came across this quote uh, recently from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He says this, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So it is the prayer meeting, a graceometer, from which we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. If he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. That's good. May it be so of us that we would never grow slothful we would never grow complacent, that we would remain fervent and dependent in our prayer before God, that this would remind us of his presence and our need for his presence here. And would it be a warning sign to us if we ever do grow complacent or dead in our praying, that it would show the absence of our desire and dependency upon God to work. And so we see this here. 
And one of the things that I'd just like to point out before we move on to the next mark is that this first mark of steadfast devotion, as you hear all that, you're like, wait a second, <laughs> this is it? Like, this is what we're hearing this morning? This is, and, and, and the truth is this, is that sometimes it's just a reminder of that which is really, really simple, right? I try every time, you know, as we open up teaching, I wanna, I wanna you to leave with something new. I want you to leave with something fresh. But sometimes what we really need is just a reminder of the things that are old, right? Jeremiah 6.16 says, stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So many times we want to bring in the new, right? Out with the old, in with the new. I think we've got to reverse that. Sometimes we need to be out with the new, in with the old. These are familiar and ancient habits and practices and rhythms that the church gave themselves to. And it's really, really simple. Sometimes we just want, we want more than that. We're like, well, what's the, but what's the new thing, right? How's the, what's the new way of doing that? And the reality is that there isn't, there is just this. These are the things that we are to give ourselves with steadfast devotion to. And so this is the first mark we see. Let's look at the second mark of a spirit-filled church. It's this, it's the awe-filled wonder. Awe-filled wonder. Let me show it to you in scripture. It comes from the next verse as we just are walking our way through this passage as we do each week. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What they saw here, maybe your Bible has this note, is the awe, there's a little note in my Bible that says, or fear, right? These two are sort of, Connected, they're together in that there was um, another word for fear is reverence, an understanding of the power of God at work. And they were seeing it visibly before their eyes. Many wonders, many signs being done through these apostles. And every soul, everyone in the church was filled with this awe-filled wonder, this fear, this reverence. I wonder, have we lost in the church today some of the wonder that we're called to have, that we see here. I think sometimes we're too smart for our own good, right? We want to explain things away. Uh, we want to trust in facts. We want to trust in logic. We want to, you know, follow the science, and we want to see, like, okay, so clearly there's a logical explanation for these things. And, and yet, what uh, God's Word says time and time again is, is God is outside of the system that He's created. He has the ability to affect the system that He's created. And so there are times and wonders where logic and, and pure understanding and the facts may not always point to what God is actively doing. And let's just be clear, church, is that the same God that was at work here is the same God that's working now, and it might look a little different, but it's still just as awe-filled. There's still to be just as much reverence, just as much expectation and wonder. Uh, one of the things that I think that we run into is because we grow up, many of us have grown up in churches, and in, in ministries, in studies where um, this is not the expectation, Right? that God will show up, that he will do something. You know, so many times I, I look at, and, and that's been one of my, some of you know, I have a background in student ministry, love student ministry. One of my desires is, is I gave myself to middle school, high school students and student ministry was not to just create um, sort of a, uh, a fun night, right, that was just kind of, you know, gathered a crowd and sent them back out. Like I knew the world that was waiting them and that they were already facing and they needed something real and deeper 
than playing Chubby Bunny or um, you know, some of the, the crazy games. Now, we would do fun games. We'd have fun. I had a very fun like, ministry together, but we would dig into the truth and expectation that we see in God's word. Why? Because I was trying to help prepare and, and give uh, students that were going to go out into the world tools to understand and see the awe and wonder that was necessary to walk through. And so many of us, we grew up in that, or we grew up seeing um, sort of systems and programs and structure and all these things, and the church has become about all this stuff, this religiosity, this, this, this system, this machine, if you will. And it's not that. It's God actively at work and leading and filling and working through and in his people. That is what the church is. And so there is just as much awe, there's just as much wonder here today. I wonder, I wonder, one of the things that we see here is they had expectation that God was going to work. Have we lost some of the expectation? I mean, would we pray, God, would you make it so? Would you do it? We are seeing miracles around us. We are seeing lives transformed. I mean, even the first service we were talking about, there's uh, sitting right here in the third row, Kevin and Mary Fisher and um, the, the work that God did to save him. I mean, physically, he had the chances of survival. He had a brain, brain tumor, and God miraculously has healed him and given more years ahead, and it has been nothing short of God's grace at work. And you might say, well, science did that, or the technology did that, and I just want to tell you, listen, church, if we start thinking that way, if that's how we want to explain the hand of God, we are missing out on what he is doing and the work that he is doing. He is actively at work. Would we be called toward awe-filled wonder? Would we believe and trust? That doesn't mean every prayer we pray, every expectation we have is met by him, but it means that he has the power to meet, that he has the power to work. And so with faith, let's pray and seek after him in this way. Awe-filled wonder. Third mark we see of the spirit-filled church, sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity. Man, I love this picture. I love what they were doing. Remember, before we read this, Remember what the context is. All these people, thousands of people, travel to Jerusalem for these holy days, these feasts, and they're there. They're, they're, they're you know, hundreds of miles from home, and they're living in this city, and then uh, the Pentecost happens. God miraculously works in their life, and they decide to stick around for a while and to fellowship and be with the church together. And so this is what was happening. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, we're going to continue to you know, remind ourselves of this, is that there are parts of the scriptures that are descriptive, others that are prescriptive. There's both going on here. It's describing what the church in Jerusalem was doing. They were taking care of each other, right? They're far from home. They needed a place to sleep. They needed food. They didn't have an income source, and so they needed help. And so the church was doing this, it's describing it, but it's also prescribing for us this sacrificial generosity. Now, some churches or some people have tried to take this too far, and they say, well, if you're going to follow Christ, you need to sell everything you own, right? And we need to like, buy a property on the edge of town. We all need to um, sort of buy matching outfits, matching track, track suits, and we're just going to move in there and put everything in one collective pot, and, and we're going to live together. And uh, that's not what this is calling us to, okay? That's a cult. This is, um, this is the people caring for one another sacrificially, generously. That is where the Spirit leads, okay? So nobody had to get up and kind of, you know, 
pry their arm or, or twist them into doing this. They recognized the need, and the Spirit, as he was filling them, was, they were like, I need to respond to this. I need to give to these things. And so they were meeting tangible needs like food, shelter. Now, one thing that I think is so helpful for us to notice is this. It wasn't just um, generosity from their abundance. They felt it. They were giving generos- generously out of uh, sacrifice. I think that's an important distinction to make. Look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. They were giving up. It wasn't just selling like, you know, instead of taking them to goodwill, they were, you know, having a garage sale. It was, oh, I really like that or I really want that. I guess I'm going to sell that off so that I can help them over here. And they were giving out of their sacrifice. Many of us, we like to or we're more comfortable giving out of our abundance where we really don't feel it. It doesn't actually affect our life too much. We give out of our abundance. It's a much harder move to give sacrificially, to go without something so that somebody else can be blessed. This is the picture that we have right here. Sacrificially selling possessions, belongings, and then giving to those in need. So this is kind of how we handle this and the way that we sort of approach this here at City on a Hill is I believe that scripture shows and teaches us this, that you kind of fall into one and two categories. If this is your church home, we are called to either do one of two things, either uh, give to the church or receive from the church. Now, when I say give to the church, you're giving unto the Lord for the work of the ministry in the church, right? So people are being blessed and ministered to and cared for in that. So clarity in that. You're not giving to a pastor. You're not giving to, um, you know, a building or something like that. You're giving to the ministry and work of the Lord through his people, all right? So giving to the church. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, there are some, we're, we're going to kind of come back to this. We're going to see some giving um, principles throughout this, but I think throughout scripture, there's like a healthy mark or sort of a, a, a starting place. It speaks about a tithe. It's a tenth. And a tenth of our income is that. Now, we're not legalistic about that. Nobody's like checking documents or asking or anything like that. We're, we're just, this is between you and the Lord. And, 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 and the question would be, is, is there an intentional um, amount that you're setting aside to give to the work of the Lord? And I think a tenth is a really great place to start. For some, maybe that's too much. For others, um, that's too little. And, and, and you need to, before the Lord, kind of determine what is it that he's calling you to give. We want to give sacrificially in this way. Beyond that, uh, we can give to many of the needs that we see around us. So it's not just giving to the church, but it's meeting the needs. So if your neighbor is hurting and don't like give that to the church and tell like the church to go and kind of meet that need, like you give to them. And, and if you know someone who's, who needs some help and you know that we would be giving of ourselves to that or give your stuff away. If somebody needs, um, we've been blessed by that. Like one time we, um, it was early in our marriage, we had like no money. We just graduated from Bible school. My salary was like next to nothing and our car broke down and somebody gave us a car. And it was incredible. It, it changed our life in the ministry, and it was such a blessing to us. I mean, they gave sacrificially in that way. Such a blessing. But here's the thing, is not everybody has something to give to the church. You might be in a very different spot, and you need to receive from the church. Now, here's what I think is an important distinction, is um, you, if, you, like, if you don't have enough to make ends meet, if you don't know how rent's going to get paid, if you don't have, like, we want to be the type of church. If this is your church family, this is your home, like, we want to take care of one another. I think we're called to, as this church. You might be going through a rough patch. And so I just want to say publicly that we want to help the church. And so if you're here, part of this family, now, obviously, we don't have the ability or means to help every, every need that's out there, 
right? But we're called first to the family of God right here. And so uh, we have open doors. People can come in, join, be a part of our church, and we want to take care of them and, and help in that. And so um, we want to be, uh, you know, really uh, clear in how we do that, intentional and, and providing you know, structure and ways, but, but we want to do that. And so I think it's a really helpful distinction to kind of have these two uh, places because here's, here's what I think uh, often, what I find often happens is um, sometimes people will say, well, I, you know, I can't give to the church right now. I say, oh, okay, well, then we would love to help you. How can we give to you? And they're like, well, I don't I don't need anything, you know, I can't, <laughs> I, I'm not like that in need, like I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm making it, I'm, I'm okay. And I just don't know that that's the, I mean, search the scriptures, tell me if I'm wrong, but that's not the picture that we see. It's either kind of giving or receiving. I think it's a clarifying point. And if you are in that place, can I just say this? To those of you that maybe need to receive, can I just say, they received with glad and generous hearts, right? It's a joy for people to be able to give and to meet and help together. And so sometimes it's a humbling thing to acknowledge and say, you know what, I need help right now. And we want to help in that. On the other side, if you have the ability and you can give, is the Lord leading you to give sacrificially, generously in that place? And here's the thing that I love about our church is I'm able to stand up here and say this, not from a place, again, of need or issue. Our budget is fine. Like, every need of the church is being met. Thank you. Like, you're giving generously to the Lord, to the work that he's called us to, and he is meeting every one of our needs. We don't have um, any sort of budget issues or anything like that, okay? So it's not coming from a place of that. It's just calling us toward this. And so the Spirit was leading us in it. Do you see it right there? I mean, all who believed were together and had all things in common, selling their possessions, belonging, distributing proceeds to any as had need. What an amazing family to be a part of that if tragedy were to strike or something were to happen and you didn't know, I just want to tell you, you have a church family that has your back. And it's a joy, man. There are people that have been so blessed by being able to give in that spot. And some of you, again, God has given you the ability, given you generous, sacrificial hearts. And so uh, praise God for that. We want to um, use that. And so thank you. Thank you for your generosity in this way. Let's look at the last mark that we see together. It's this. It's worshipful unity. Worshipful unity. The Spirit, as he was filling the church, was leading them toward worshipful unity. Day by day, look what they were doing. Verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see this beautiful, beautiful picture of worshipful unity. A couple of things that I think would be helpful for us to see is this. This day by day, it was continual. It wasn't week by week. It wasn't month by month. It certainly wasn't year by year. Um, I know I'm not talking to you because you're here now. Um, that's a kind of Christmas Easter type message, right? The year by year, right? But, but, but month by month, week by week, not the picture that we see. We see day by day. Day by day, very quickly, the church moved from a Sabbath celebration to the Lord's Day. So they started worshiping on Sunday, and they were gathered together at the temple in that place, everyone there together. And then throughout the week, day by day, in homes, breaking bread, receiving food, right? Enjoying the company and fellowship of one another. What a beautiful picture. Sounds a lot like what we're trying to do here right now, right? We gather together on the Lord's Day, on Sundays, all the church together in one place, worshiping together, and then throughout the week in small groups and discipleship groups and one-on-one and one -on -one, in coffees and meals and, and times together, we are 
in homes, breaking bread together and fellowshipping with one another. And again, it's so, so simple, but they were together. They were together in that. And so would we strive after this worshipful unity with one another, worshiping together. They were praising God, lifting their voices. They were generous in their giving. They were glad in what they were receiving. And they were attending to the needs of all. I love the connection you see in that, that fellowship in the home. And one of the things that this led to, here's the answer to the question of the, you know, the historians that try and figure out, like, how did that message spread so quickly? It's because they were living out what God had called them to, and they were finding favor with all the people. Unfortunately, I don't know that we can say this is true of, I'm going to speak broadly, the church today, that we have found favor with all the people. Why? Well, because we're not filled with the Spirit. We're not living out these things that he's called us to. And so what people are seeing is infighting and, and, and hypocrisy and, and some of these things. And some of us, we're on a quest to find a perfect church. Maybe you're here and you're wondering, is this it? Did I find the perfect church? I'm going to save you some time. No, you did not, okay? Not the perfect church. Keep looking, but a warning to you. If you find the perfect church, don't go there. You're going to ruin it, all right? Like, you're bringing your crazy with you, okay? And so don't go to that church because you're going to mess up the thing that they got going, all right? So this isn't it. Keep looking if you want. If you find it, stay away, okay? So this is what we see here. But they were having favor with all the people. The people are looking at them, and they're like, I want that. I want the community and the love and the care and what's happening there in the church. I want to be a part of that. And that's why it says the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. God was doing this thing and he was using this transformative community life that they were living together and they experienced this growth. Here's where we're at as a church is we are very clear of what we are committed to, founded upon and pursuing after. We have four pillars that are central to who we are. We say this, that we are about the unapologetic preaching of God's word. We want to lift high the name of Christ in worship, and so that is for us unashamed adoration, that we want to live out unceasing prayer, believing that God works and answers prayers, and that the unafraid witness, that there's boldness in our message about Jesus and what he's done for us and what he wants to do for others. You know, as, as elders and, 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 and just in my own heart, I've been prayerfully considering, like, would we add a fifth core value at some point? Because I feel like it's what has really... Uh, we've really kind of grown into as a church. And I would kind of frame it this way, uncommon community. This is what we see here. This is an uncommon community. The very first sermon I ever preached here at this church, um, I titled it, the, very, the Best Place on Earth. I believe this, the church, doing what the church is called to do when filled with the Spirit is the best earthly picture of God's family. And listen, we don't always get it right. And we, you know, we hurt each other. And that's where forgiveness comes in. But that's what is beautiful about the church. It's not that there's perfection there's unity, there's community, there's fellowship, there's care, there's worship, there's generosity, there's all of this is present here. This is what we are called to. And I got to just be honest that it's not always super, super flashy. I love that today we had kind of the stripped down sort of worship set, just, you know, some keys, guitar, voice, and singing together. You know, sometimes we come in after crazy weeks and we don't need lights and smoke and lasers and all of that, right? We don't need all of the flash, what we really need is just to be reminded that sometimes following Christ is just the ordinary. Sunday morning is not going to be a mountaintop experience every single Sunday. Sometimes we just come, we meet with the Lord, we interact together, care for each other, pray for one another, and we go about our weeks together 
praising God for all that he is doing in our midst as he fills us with his presence. This is the type of church that we are going after. This is the church that he's called us to. I'm gonna invite the team up and we're gonna respond together in song. Let me pray as they come. God, we thank you for your goodness, your grace to us. Lord, you are working and moving and and present. And Father, thank you for um, this picture that you've given us. And Lord, we acknowledge our, um, at times, uh, often at times, our, our shortcoming of this. And so God, would you fill us more with your spirit? God, would you transform us? This isn't something that we know we can manufacture or program or structure, but God, this is something that you're gonna have to do and create in us. So God, do it. Spirit, fill us. God, be present with us here now in our church, Lord, in our lives, in our families, in our homes. God, in the place that you are working, we ask that you would transform us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the work you've done in our lives. We wanna share that with anyone who will listen. God, thank you for your grace, your truth. We respond to you now. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.